0: Previously on Two Star, Two Trek. And every three seconds, another cast member comes in the front door. <laughs> to say goodbye. To say goodbye to And her. like,
1: Julian Bashir just goes, it was such an honor serving with you. And like, I think Quark goes, you can do better than that. That sucks. <laughs> that could have been for anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, like, and Kira's like going
0: through like packing and everything. Like, Dax comes back to like return a book, you know. And like every three seconds, it's like,
1: beep, beep, come in. Beep beep, why not? Beep beep, another one. Like Well, and at the end it's it's Vedic Barile.
2: Right. Who's like, oh. hey, wanna
1: go come hang out at the monastery with me? Hot Vedic? And she's like, Yes, <laughs> no, please. That yes, sounds please. great. Could I, I, I want to find myself in your face. <laughs> or your pants. Either way. <laughs>
0: Greetings friends and fellow Trekkies, welcome to 2 Star 2 Trek. After a brief detour from a Mirror Universe episode of 3 Star 3 Trek, we are back in DS9 talking about the two-parter,
1: The Maquis, Season 2 of DS9, Episodes 20 and 21. So very late in Season 2. And we, of course,
0: are joined by two lovely guests this evening. Forrest and Katie. Katie, how are you doing this evening?
3: Doing awesome, Ryan. Thank you for having me again.
0: Yeah, it's always a pleasure, because you love DS9, and we love when people love things, (laughs) that's for sure. Forrest, how are you doing this evening?
4: Doing most excellence. Excited to talk about the strange neo-colonial, post-colonial... I really don't understand the Maquis as a thing, but uh, I like this episode, so... Looking right. forward to it.
0: Well, and I was really excited when we put the list together that, oh man, there's a DS9 episode about Marquis. We're going to find out about, you know, Chakotay and, like, what he believes in and where they come from. Sure. And, well. like, <laughs> what the Marquis nope. thing is. And, like, does not even touch on it. Like, you are mistaken. Barely, barely gets there. <laughs> so that was kind of a, a bummer, but there is some good stuff in here as well. Caitlin, what was some of your favorite parts about the episode right when we meet
1: Cal. Oh, I mean, before you meet Cal, I mean, there's excitement in the episode, right? The cold open is they explode a ship. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the Bachnor?
4: Bachnor. Um,
1: Yeah, and you know, for us watching it, the title of the episode is The Maquis, so we're pretty sure it's The Maquis who did it. (laughs) Right. But, you know, to watch everyone go like, holy shit, that's did that just? That's wild. Is like interesting because even at DS Nine, where everything's on fire always, that was <laughs> actually like a big enough event for everyone to kind of go, wait, wait, wait. We should probably check this out.
4: It, yes. Yeah, it's it's so funny because. And I can't exactly remember where versus TNG, who is dealt with the, who deals with the Maquis a little bit, especially so. With,
1: so Journey's End had aired about a month before this, which okay. is the Maquis episode of of TNG.
4: Got it. So that makes sense. And you know, Rolaren was very much the TNG's portal into the Maquis, and like Proto Kira in a lot of ways. And uh, love that character on TNG. But yeah, the this. You can tell that this is like... Because Jadzia and Kira are bantering about our our favorite regular uh, date interest of Jadzia, uh, Captain Translucent Skull. And uh, it's, it just starts off, you know, kind of energetic, and then it really pivots into the this is this is a bigger deal than normal, everyone, uh, because this ship just blew up, and uh, you know, Cisco's gonna start yelling at everybody until they figure out what happens. Uh, it's kind, it's really interesting to see this kind of crisis mode Cisco, who is immediately aware how big of a screw up. This is, and how much everything's going to suck for him to try to figure it out. Little does he know.
3: Particularly at a Bajoran station. Like, that added the next thing. And even if you kind of watch Kira, because I always watch Kira, she looks like, (laughs) she looks concerned, but also kind of like, yeah, that was Cardassian. Eh. Like, she she cares about her job, but like, (laughs) I feel like even her look is like, that Cardassian ship blew up. It wasn't me, but I'm not mad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right, like, I'll look the other way. Well, and there's so many incidents, you know, at the end of season two that kind of tease the fact that, like, war is probably coming, we just don't know from where. And so this is almost one of those events where they're like, is this the thing? Is this the thing that's going to escalate? Like, maybe. Fucking might. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Right, because you're just looking at, like, what's going to push everything over the edge? Because that's the thing that, I personally enjoy about DS9 as a whole um, compared to, you know, Voyager and TNG and enterprise and TOS is it's all stationary in one place. And because of that, you can generate conflict just by having people come and go. And you can generate outside conflict in a very internal situation. And I think the way this episode starts is really laying the groundwork for, like, oh, strange things are afoot at the Circle K.
2: Yeah. Yes, the I Circle
0: can't. K. <laughs> That's beautiful. I ds9 probably has a circle k like it's got a gap
4: it it is the circle k no that's that's exactly (laughs) it because it's not my immediate thought was that it's space bucky's but it's not that nice it is definitely (laughs) a circle k like it's 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 one of those
1: big gas stations off of i-95 that inexplicably still has a roy rogers in it and you're like what is happening here this
4: is incredible How is this still applied? Why did I pay a toll to come into here? (laughs) And uh, where am I going next? I don't know. Okay, so weird aside,
0: crazy gas stations on toll roads that you're like, wait, why is this here? In Oklahoma, there is a gas station on a toll road. After you go through the toll road, this gas station is on the side of the road, and it's got a bridge over the toll road. That has a McDonald's and it's literally and I'm I'm not making this up, it is two golden arches that go over the freeway <laughs> And it it, it it looks like a bridge. It looks like a sky bridge, right? With like two golden arches holding this thing up. But it doesn't go anywhere. Like this bridge doesn't connect two separate things at all. No, it's just like DS Nine. It just like it's sits just at to this, support this McDonald's.
1: Yeah, it's because like the McDonald's is like the the portal, the wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> right,
0: right. right. <laughs> it just sits in the middle of this freeway that you have to pay to get on. <laughs> like it's the weirdest McDonald's I've That's ever beautiful. been to. You know what
1: it's like? It's like that um, that Wendy's in DC that just sits in that tiny triangle. Oh, right I know. Right at the edge exactly of the city. Yeah, Triangle about. Wendy's. Yeah. that's You can get a baconator there at like
2: 9 o'clock in the
4: morning. Perfect. I can no, definitely, It definitely has, like, DS9 definitely has these, like, the lost chains of the Alpha Quadrant, like, painted <laughs> over the Cardassian. You know, like it used to be and stuff. The guy's got his kiosk set up. That's all good, but then it's just like, oh, I know they still made those anymore, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's it's definitely Hardee's on DS Nine. I think it's not Carl's Junior. It's Hardee's. Oh, DS Nine
1: oh. is one of those places that used to be a Pizza Hut. It has the roof, but it's not a Pizza Hut. <laughs> it's no longer. It's no longer a Pizza Hut. Yes. <laughs> It's like a steakhouse (laughs) now! It's like
0: a steakhouse, but it still has like the red Uh hut.
1: (laughs) That's what the Cardassian architecture is. It's their version of Pizza Hut. (laughs) That's why they
3: have to step over everything. They don't have a red roof, but they do have lifted (laughs) lips over every
0: entryway. Well, that's where the pizza buffets used to be. (laughs) I'm not making this up. I found pictures. This is great for an audio medium. Look at this. This is a real McDonald's.
2: (gasps) For
0: why? <laughs> and it goes it goes over the freeway like i'm not making it up like it's it's uh, the wormhole
2: yep yeah yep oh,
3: i mean oklahoma needs something yes. for attracting visitors right so
2: yeah.
0: it's it's infrastructure week on two star two track <laughs> <laughs> yeah it
2: is
0: it absolutely is okay so now well, that we've maybe, compared ds9 to every chain in the world what about Vinnegans? Oh yeah, with oh, its discount yes. gap, Vinnegans would They're, be good. Shoney's, Shoney's, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Quark is just Payless. like middle management for all of this, right? <laughs> oh yeah, Quark yeah. Payless, values. yeah. Garrick. That's where Garrick lives, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
4: no, like, Garrick moonlights at the Circuit City on DS9 What do you doing.
0: <laughs> oh, I remember Circuit City. Oh, Circuit
2: City! Uh, to all the Gosh. brands
0: we've loved before. Uh, uh, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I miss Borders too. Just throwing that out yeah. there. Oh, Borders. That's a I wasted a lot of money there. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Get it though, because because DS Nine is is on the is a border.
4: Oh, oh. oh, I was trying really hard <laughs> to work a Badlands reference in there and didn't quite <laughs> get to it. But you know, uh, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, yes. And then, so after after the explosion
0: at border, then murders, Cal shows up. Then Cal shows up, mm-hmm. and Cal is, I think, like the easiest way to describe it is he's like the Cisco equivalent on the Kardashian side of the border. The Kardashian the, side. The Kardashian side. What the Kardashian?
3: Say? Like Kim like K.
0: Kardashian. Oh well, you know yeah. that's a border too. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Cal is like the Cisco equivalent from like, you know, the other side of the tracks, yeah. essentially. He's inexplicably not the state farm guy I looked it up. <laughs> oh yeah. He does look oh. like the state farm guy. That's really, mm-hmm. really
4: interesting. Yeah, and and Bernie Casey gets one of those very few, as we've seen throughout Star Trek, one of those, what was it, very special guest star or special what's what was his And he was uh, like he was like full. a pro
1: football player. That was his claim he to fame, was. right?
4: Yeah, and so he, he gets played so for a special... the forty niners. Yeah, special appearance by is what Bernie Casey gets. And it's so cool to see the, see, uh, you know, clearly old friends, clearly they've missed some things in each other's lives. You know, they, they reminisce about missing, you know, funerals essentially for each other's wives. And so Cisco's trying to keep order on around Bajor and keep things going there. And uh, Cal has got to deal with uh, the Cardassian side of things, uh, dealing with these, you know, the demilitarized zone and everything that's going on there. So these two guys are, are good friends. Their chemistry on screen is so awesome, but at the same time, they've got really hard jobs and they're going to, as we see, come to very different conclusions about how to, you know, actually do those jobs down the line. But you can tell that this is like a really bittersweet performan—well, meeting and the performance of that is so strong because, you know, Cisco's cl- very loyal to his friends and his, his colleagues and whatnot, but also to his values and Cal tests all of that loyalty throughout this episode
0: right and while cal is busy testing cisco in that way um sneaks into cisco's bedroom (laughs) yeah that's and it was really it's it's like a really weird situation like cisco just like walks in and gold standing there and he's like um i wasn't aware you were on ds9 how did you get here and he was like Dude, I, like, ran this gap for, like, ten years. Like, I know how to get places without people seeing me. Which is, like, the coolest explanation to write it off, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the the thing is, is that, like, no one on DS9 at any time is allowed to do anything unless they are, like, exploding with weird, slightly predatory sexual energy. And, like, that's what Goldratt brings to this interaction. Yes. Right.
3: And and he uses, again, the space tubes on DS9 to get around. We come back to the mm-hmm. infamous, you cannot penetrate these tubes with any sensors. So... Yep. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm gonna sneak, sneak around? around and you can't do anything about it. And that's a lot of that's a lot of fun because it gives it gives Goldicott an upper hand that he never necessarily needed because he's there to help, but he still doesn't right. have an upper hand right. in a helping situation
0: right because he wants to find out what happens to the ship that exploded in the cold open because you know Kira might not care understandably, kind of a big deal, right <clears throat> because d s nine is supposed to be. You know, neutral ground. You know, it's supposed to be the end of the occupation. It's supposed to be, you know, free, free land. Well, it's supposed unquote. to be
1: protected, right, for, for
0: everybody to travel
1: through, right?
4: Safe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Safe. Big air quotes. Big, big on air fire. Quotes. Red lobster.
2: <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> uh,
0: and then we we get to like what I think is the best part of these this two parter. Is Goldacott offers to help figure out what happened to this ship, and we get the road trip movie of Cisco and Goldacott like in the runabout, and they just they hate each other so much. It's mm. so good, Katie. I know you said you really <laughs> wanted to talk about this before we started recording, so <laughs> I'm just gonna let you have the reins. Awesome.
3: No, just the Cisco and Ducat banter back and forth because there's almost really like a begrudging respect because they understand that they're both good at their jobs for different reasons and through different moralities really but uh it's almost sitcommy in that it's like these two roommates who don't get along have to solve a problem together <laughs> and they have to put aside their differences and both of those men have far too much pride to do that um right re- at all in any well thought out way but eventually they kind of let each other struggle and then come back in to save one another and that i think builds a very small uh respect that will play out throughout the series later as they have to continue to work together or mostly against one another but they get inside each other's heads a little bit in this episode and get to know each other that way and it's just a really cool cool thing to see
1: I kept waiting for them to put uh, duct tape halfway down through the runabout. So it's like, and like, Cisco's (laughs) half. And like,
3: near the sides shall meet. Cisco's like, Pinky comes over, and Dukat's like, What are you doing? Keep your Pinky, (laughs) that Pinky, because it better go back over. I'm not touching it, Dukat.
4: (laughs) But that's exactly it, because like, Cisco has turned off the controls on ducat's side to the runabout and <laughs> ducat's like isn't it standard practice for both consoles to peel it up and cisco's like so what
1: are you gonna do about it <laughs> right. what are you doing
4: and, and then ducat's like well uh at one point they're about ready to you know arm some some phasers and do some pew pewing and ducat's like the photon torpedo launcher's right there And it's so, it's like, Ducat has has come so, it's it's so petty and it's so wonderful. So it is exactly that odd couple roommate sitcom episode. It's like, oh, you can't touch my runabout. Oh, yeah? I already know how your runabout works, so I don't want to touch it. (laughs) I (laughs) touched your drum set. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, and, like, at one point, Ducat even, like, says, like, oh, yeah, like, we have this technology, like. 50 years ago we already know how to use it we've got shit that's better like why are we stuck in this stupid ship let's go get a ship from my side and we can like really find who's doing this we're not gonna do it your way your way sucks like they're just going at it against each other so well and it's just so fun to see these two like bounce Mm -hmm. off each other because Avery Brooks is in it and like you can tell when Cisco is getting under Ducat's skin, and you can tell when Ducat is getting under Cisco's skin. And, like, I will say one thing I have come to appreciate and love about Avery Brooks is Cisco is his shit-eating
1: grin is immaculate. <laughs> he brings such playfulness to Cisco. I mean, he knows when to rein it in, and he knows when to be deadly serious, but I think more than any of the other captains slash, you know, people in charge, hashtag adulting, uh, he's really able to find the fact that, like, some of this stuff's just fucking funny. Right. It's funny that Golducot is stuck in this runabout with Cisco and they have to go on this mission together, because, like... Both of them are trying to figure out what happened, but like, you know, at the end of the day, if he can still screw with golden and get stuff done, he's going to make that choice. Absolutely.
3: First. He is. Absolutely. He is. Um, <laughs> and another thing, just speaking to Avery Brooks and how amazing he does with Cisco. I can't sing this man's praises enough, but even from the moment he's walking into his room before he discovers Dukat has snuck into his bedroom. Um, you can see you can see the muscles <laughs> tense on his face like he does it so well. He immediately becomes guarded. He immediately changes his tone, his his facial expressions, everything changes. It's not just a it's not I mean it is acting obviously, but it feels so authentic and it's incredible and you see that like sh- shitty grin he has and I feel like that's almost to the to Gold actor sometimes. Like they're I think they're just friends and not playful oh, that playful yeah. that they just get to right. do that authentically and that's a that's fun too.
0: And they're just like bouncing off.
3: Exactly. Each
4: other. Yeah and and Mark Alimo's so expressive through the right the Cardassian makeup. And he was he was the original Cardassian, right? And so right. all Cardassians are Mark Alimo, right? They are all of him um, <laughs> right. they are all of his spirit. Um Daddy he, had those, he had those weird he had daddy Dukas, exactly. <laughs> he had like weird mutton chops, if I remember, as his first Cardassian. I'm glad they got rid of those. Um, you know, it, the Cardassian uh, uh, beard and mustache face got had to be really weird back on Cardassian <laughs> Prime. It must it just got really weird. Um, but they, it, they enjoy. You can tell that both that the actors are like enjoying this experience, but also the characters. No one. Ducat wants a challenge, right? He, you know, being, uh, being in charge of Bajor and, and that experience, you know, probably wasn't, you know, he's better than that. You know, why did he get, you know, and he, uh, obviously there's a lot of Bajor politics to come, but Cisco and Ducat are at each other's level and they're going to do everything from like being semi-friendly and trying to get to know each other. Oh, I didn't know you had children. Yeah, I have seven. Okay cool we're learning stuff about each other but also from the you know we're doing it my way and or the highway or you can walk home kind of thing that they do it's so great and this these two episodes it's just it's such a great pair of a great pair of characters that we have seen and we will continue to see him. but ds9 is so full of these great just Dualities in these pairs Quirk and Odo, Kira and Jedzia, um, Worf and O'Brien when they get together, O'Brien and Bashir, right? Bashir and, and Garrick, right? All these, there's so many great relationships. Jake and and Well,
0: in bringing up Jake, that's kind of like how that entire scene like kicks off when uh, Ducat is in Cisco's re- uh, room is Cisco immediately, like, taps the calm. Like, where's my kid? Like, where's my kid? Like, I need to know right now. He immediately goes from, you know,
4: oh, we're playing this weird sexy game with each other. And I'm like, no, seriously, though, where's my kid? The, no, the seriously, though, where's about my this. kid? And Ducat's like, I, I don't know. I didn't do anything with him. And that's his immediate focus. And then, right. he, you know, he, he eases a little bit when Jake's okay. and But at the same time, he's like, okay, so you're just being... Creepily sexual. All right. (laughs) Do you remember?
0: It was the funniest thing. Do you remember what Jake and Nog were doing? They were looking at (laughs) women, weren't they? They were watching. Yeah, they were creeping. They were watching women women come out of the new landing. Like, oh, new ships coming in. Let's go see all the hot girls. (laughs) That's beautiful. Good for them. Uh, it's there's, such there's, like an adolescent, like teenage boy thing to do. Like if you're stuck like terminal style in an airport, yeah, you're gonna watch every plane unload. Yeah. <laughs> like you're gonna get Southwest Airlines schedule, you're gonna know when, you know, the two thirty from LA lands, you know, like
4: uh, it's just really funny. They play with those references a lot of Jake growing up, and you can see that Cisco's like uh, again, and Ducat's like, "See, that, that sounds like a good plan. Can I do that?" <laughs> He's
1: like, "Yeah, <"Hey>, <laughs> after it's fine. Sounds like a fun afternoon <laughs> at the food court at DS Nine. <laughs> we'll get Panda Express, space.
0: <laughs> we'll get, we'll get Sbarro, like big pizzas that taste New like New York style. Really. Just yeah. on the
4: <laughs> come to Quarks, New York style pizza." Root beer.
2: <laughs>
0: Gross. That would be super nasty. <laughs> but yeah, meanwhile... But like, yeah, meanwhile, Cal is just kind of... Um, he being a little shady. Little yeah. sneaky sneaky. He's he got a little, sneaky little boy. Snack. Yes. And he's like hiding things from... I want to say Jake, but I know that's wrong. He's hiding things from Cisco, Ben Sisko. <gasps> Sorry, they both have the same last name. I'm halfway right. I'm very tired. I apologize. Cal is kind of being cagey towards his friend and being like, you should see things from my point of view, you know. You get to live in this big, glorious... Circle K. um, Space station. station. Yeah, the the Circle K in the sky. You know, we're actually living planet-side on the other side of the border, and it's hell for us over there, you know. We don't have you know, like, a button to be like, all right, where's the nearest starship? We need to deal with a problem, you know? Well, and, like, when the
1: Cardassians are violating, you know, like, trying to bully the colonists out of the space, like, there's no big Federation presence to, like, come save them if shit goes really sideways. Mm -hmm. So, like, they keep having to just deal with it and essentially, like, not have their voices heard and not have their problems addressed, and the Cardassians seem to be able to, you know, just run rampant against the treaties that were made and, and no one's standing up for them.
0: Yeah, and I think at, like, one point, like, there's, like, mention of, like, oh, yeah, like, there's a curfew, we're not allowed to have weapons, like, things like that, and, I mean, and this is, this is just me personally, like, I'm a pacifist, I don't, I don't like weapons, I don't like violence, things like that, but, like, it, space, the final frontier, who knows what the hell you're gonna run into, you know, like, violence is a last resort, you have to be able to defend yourself, and especially... You know, they're not in the unknown, you know, the Cardassians are a known quantity, mm. you know, they, they want to be able to defend themselves, but you get this, like, really weird, like, reverse colonialism kind of take on the thing, because the entire time you're getting the point of view of Cal, you're also getting the point of view of Ducat speaking with Sisko. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and the the kind of build up to this as as Ducat and Cisco are on you know Space Jam trip you know ninety four or whatever this is, uh, you know they witness kind of it's sensor range this battle and and Ducat's like oh those those Kardashian ships have you know Galler class phaser ranks and Cisco's like oh that. Federation ship has photon torpedoes and they're both kind of like we're we're armed up, we're shooting at each other. Ducat even yells his access code across space yeah. and no one does anything. So everyone's mad when they get there and and they're you know the the kind of confrontation in this in this meeting room on this planet, you know, everyone's you know yelling back and forth, You blew up our ship, no we didn't. And the you know, Ducat and Cisco walk in and they're like and Ducat's like, I use my access code. Code. and you kept firing and you disobeyed orders and Gullivek's like ah you're just a voice from the void who really cares about <laughs> you anyway and so this goes like Cal, right. what's going on you know we're, we're uh, we hailed these ships and no one's going on and he's like well they you know they probably couldn't hear you or whatever he said <laughs> <And> then <Yeah. laughs> the, the, the the great twist of this scene is that when they bring in the body of the bomber, right, and they just walk, right. and walk, in, walk him in on the stretcher, and it's like were they just standing out there and Cisco got walked by, and we're like, <laughs> what's, "What's that?" No, don't worry about dramatic effect later. Uh, but the fact that they bring in this guy and and kind of all it all reveals at once, you know, everything that was that we suspected and that we know. But yeah, the Maki did it. Uh, yeah, the guy was from this planet uh yeah the Cardassians got them and it all just kind of all comes out at once that uh oh and and now we know that everyone's got big guns so no it's right. not going to be nice and easy to to resolve here
0: right and this is supposed to be the demilitarized zone too like this is supposed to be like you're here to live you're here
1: to farm you're here to do science you're not here to to shoot at one another well, and this has all been left unchecked for so long that it's like when the actual, like, quote authorities come in to like check out what's actually going on, they're like, "You're not the boss of me." Like, right. what's going to happen the second you leave? They're going to fire on us. Like, we're going to continue defending ourselves. Go
3: screw yourself. Right. Yep. And Cisco and Cal kind of had this moment a little later where they talk about this isn't Earth where there's already set peace and that 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 boundary of safety and we were above this war we're above currency we're above reasons of war and we're trying to set up this demilitarized zone like that but that's they're not even close to that and so in some ways no. the federation really set them up for failure by not building a treaty in which like yes we're gonna work towards this but that has to be a progress it can't be a no weapons allowed zone rainbow sunshines and the Cardassians will obviously just take to that rainbow and sunshine without pushback
1: well we talked about this um, a couple episodes ago I think when we were first starting to talk about DS9 you know is is the the Federation ideal, a lack of capitalism. And when you have these colonial kind of like outposts and these people that have been left to fend for themselves, like they do have to like participate in the economy around Mm -hmm. them, which includes like advocating for their own protection and trade trade that like secures them in the region, which like they don't seem to have any of that because the Federation isn't backing them to participate in that process. So like you Mm -hmm. said, it sets them up for failure. It sets them up to be a target and somebody to be pushed around, and their response becomes violent because those are the tools they have.
0: So I want to rope Forrest into this because I know him and I can both speak to experience in this uh, specifically. Forrest, you and I, about four or five, six years ago, we used to play this little game called World of Warcraft, right? And. There's this thing where it's an infinitely generating economy. Like, anytime you kill a creature in that game, anytime you complete a quest, you get currency. That currency doesn't have any physical value, but because enemies and things like that are constantly respawning, in theory, there is an infinite amount of currency in World of Warcraft. And, like, this is just something that's always confused me about DS9. Is like, you have, you know, Cisco... Bashir, um, O'Brien, like you have members of the Federation on DS nine participating in that economy.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What's to keep the Federation from just like replicating millions of gold pressed Latinum and just throwing off the economy? Like, how do you as as a non capitalistic society, how do you insert yourself into capitalism again? Yeah. Like once you've once you've taken that away, how does that Like, how do you transition back into that? Because that was something that, like, MMOs and games always have to do is, like, they have to put in these exorbitant, like, oh, it costs, like, 50 million gold, and -hmm. it takes forever to get, but they need it because they have to take all of that uh, currency out of circulation. Right. So it's not just, like, the economy run rampant. And, I mean, as much as Quark would like that to happen... Right? Like, what's to stop Cisco from, like, oh, I want to get a drink at Quark's. Oh, too bad it's not payday. Like, just going to the Replicator, hitting a couple buttons, because the Federation doesn't believe in, like, finite currency. I don't know. It's something I've always struggled with with DS9.
4: And Cisco can go to his Replicator and get his Ractigeno and and be fine. He doesn't have to go to Quark's. There's resources available. I don't think anyone ever pays at the replomats. right? Right. No one's ever paying to get food there and drinks there. But, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different levels involved in this, and uh, I'll try to, you know, so on the one hand, latinum, this idea of a currency, right, that's no different right. from the currencies that, you know, we have currently on Earth or whatnot, but latinum seems to be the, the gold standard, for lack of a better term. The gold crust standard, in the uh, in the Star Trek universe, and platinum can't be replicated. So that's the conceit about platinum: is that you can't replicate it. It's impossible. It's pressed in gold because gold is shiny and uh, but worthless But like platinum itself is
1: like liquid. Like, yes, so exactly. It's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, molecularly, it's, like, different than stuff that you would normally replicate.
4: Exactly, and you put latinum inside of gold so that it can be more transferable, so that it's not something that is, uh, you know, that you're not just carrying it around in your stomach or something. Uh, the uh, uh, So that's kind of how that currency works. Now, there's other currencies. We talk about the Bajoran currency a lot and Cardassian currencies mm-hmm. and some other places. But, you know, in the Federation, it's just you know, everyone's needs are met. They have the energy, uh, which we could uh, put to the, you know, the warp drive or fusion power. And we hear fusion reactors a few times in, in Star Trek here and there. So basically we have the energy and that's why Earth is peaceful. No one's hungry. Everything's great. Nothing bad ever happens on Earth except for whale probes and brain attacks. But um, <laughs> we'll get there. So Earth, and that's how the Federation functions. Everyone has what they need because they have the energy to produce it, right? The Maquis, though... And all and, right. you know, all these settlers are out on the outskirts. They are way out in you know by the badlands and on the edges of space. And what I've you know, one of the problems you know conceptually I've always had with the Maquis is that you know you're trying to connect and identify with these people who are trying to make it on their new planets, trying to make it you know uh, out in the way. But it's so weird that they made them marginalized people from Earth out in space right. to be space marginalized. Like yeah. it doesn't. It, yeah, it's it's just so it's just so strange. So it's like, oh, you'll feel even worse for them because you know of what happened to them on earth. It's just like they could just be anybody. We could feel bad for anybody. We don't need to, you know, make extra bonus space marginalization here. Right. Um but so the fact, the fact that they're trying to make it on their own planet means they don't have access to that free energy, the free right. uh, the free resources, right? So they have to take advantage of the free gifts of nature, which are these on these planets that they're kind of dealing with. Uh, but that's, that's tough and that's hard. And, you know, maybe, you know, they find value in that. There's a great DS9 episode of this colonist ship that crashes and they're like, oh, no, energy doesn't work. And it's because yeah. they're against, you know, it's space Luddites. I uh, guess yeah, um, that was a
1: whole last thing. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was
4: it's a great episode, but uh, the, you know, so the Maquis are like, we want to live here, we want to make our own way, but just like in the other, you know, in colonial powers on Earth, the borders shift, and they didn't move the border, did, and the power structures move, and so like like you're kind of speaking to, they don't have perfect peace, they don't have perfect planet. But they could pick up a gun and protect what they do have. And that's what we see in these struggles of the Maquis. Because the Federation, that's one of the big pieces coming here. And that's what Cal tries to beat in the Cisco's mind is that the Federation doesn't care about us. There are, the Federation is carrying out bigger things, bigger problems, and we're lost um right because it's how many how many times do they say you gotta protect the treaty you gotta protect the treaty you got right protect there's all the these treaty.
1: these bigger pig, picture issues and it's like when you're operating you know from from like a corporate level and you're like all right well this is going to be good for the business in the long run the business of being the federation and yeah we know there's going to be collateral damage in the meantime but what does it mean to actually be the collateral damage that sucks right like, they're, they're, they're almost a known loss to the Federation. Like, they, they knew that wasn't going to go well. Like,
0: well, and I think it also comes down to, in this particular case, where the colony is and where it is established. Because, to a certain degree, you could look at DS9 as, like, a Federation colony, almost, right? Like, it's Federation-occupied, it's, it's territory that is marked on the giant galactic map, with a giant F for Federation, right? <laughs> um, but that, that came down to, you know, it was originally a place for Bejor and the Bajorans want to be in the Federation, you know, whereas the Cardassians don't. So it's like, it's kind of like, just like, we're going to drop you off at the babysitter's house, we're going to see what happens... And, you know, you get the well-adjusted kid who comes back with, like, oh, like, I learned about, like, this religion that's not mine and, like, things like that, versus the kid that, like, you know, comes back with, like, you know, bruises and cuts and scars because, ultimately, they are unwanted when they are wherever their colony is established. So, I don't know. I just think that is important as well because... You know you even get like gold ducott he he's there, he's in the room, you know he sees the back and forth between Cal, he sees the back and forth between Cisco, and he he just doesn't really put forth effort
4: no and no it's you're exactly on it because the you know Ducat seeing all of this is important for him to for you know later on throughout this episode is you know he's trying to throw his weight around and understand what the Cardassian government is doing right because everyone's playing against each other and the Cardassian government is just as interested in uh, you know messing around with uh, messing around with the treaty and subverting it and giving itself an advantage as it is is destabilizing the Federation stuff right the Cardassians are great at this this is what we come to know and love the Cardassians for is all of the different kinds of subterfuge that they can, they can put onto the world uh, or other worlds. So, you know, these exchanges and these kind of, you know, uh, differing moralities that are going on, you know, we see this, there's a scene in uh, later on where Ducat's like, Hey, what's going to happen to these people who are, you know, breaking your laws and stuff. And so he was like, they'll be tried and they'll be, if they're found guilty, they'll be punished. And Dukat's like, If they're found guilty, what do you mean? You don't know the (laughs) outcome when you start the trial? And Cisco's like, wouldn't be a very fair trial. And Ducat's like, the state always knows they're wrong and you have to have the trial to show people the system is working. And so it's (laughs) such a great, you know, building the, 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 uh, this is a better, well, maybe this is true of most Maquis episodes. It's a better episode about the Cardassians than it is an episode about the Maquis.
1: Right. Yeah, it's very revealing as to, like, their philosophy behind why the things they have are structured the way they are. And just how that shows the stark contrast there. And, yeah, like you were saying, it's just... It all makes sense to Ducott to, like, respond in the way he does. And so, you know, you kind of start to, to not necessarily agree with what he's saying, but you see what where it's coming from.
0: So then at the end of the episodes, uh, we're back in that, like, weird conference room. And honestly, this is, like, I think the big like culmination, right? Because Ducat and Cisco have done the legwork. They know like what's going on as far as like who's shooting who and everything like that. And it turns out that Cal is kind of like flying by the seat of his pants and is getting ready to just leave the Federation because he he's not getting anything like his his government's not working for him you know it's it's a 600 check
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> nine months after <laughs> a pandemic
0: um so cal cal is fed up and frustrated and i mean i i kind of see where he's coming with that
1: yeah yeah and then uh after all of that I mean I wish he would stop shooting on Cisco. That would maybe just give him a minute to process the information.
0: Right. Right, because I think Cal is very aggressive in his in his ways of like communicating to Cisco like no, like the federation like works for you, it does not work for us. And Cal doesn't really give Cisco a, the ability to process that relate that And honestly work a solution. Because Cisco is just like, yeah, like, you guys are all gonna get arrested. Like, I already know how this is gonna go. Like, I'm I'm ready to arrest you right now. Right here. And I think Cal... I think he's just, like, looking out for, you know... Well, Cal's like, I don't
1: have time for that anymore. Like, I've spent years of my life, you know, fighting for this thing that isn't serving the people it says it serves. And... I'm able to make a difference that I can see in front of my face here and the Federation doesn't do that anymore. And or maybe it never did. And so like Cisco is no longer Cisco at that point, right? Like he's a representative of the Federation that failed these people.
0: Right. And you get that heartbreaking communique between the two, like with the view screens where he eventually he where Cal essentially defects. Right? And that's that's where I think the episode just starts to take a dive. I think, Forrest, you nailed it earlier when you said this is a much better episode about the Cardassians than it is about the Marquis.
3: I was going to say it's hard to watch because, yeah, you're right that Cal does not give Cisco time to see this black and white life that he uh, has been living, that the Federation does not have best interests in these colonists and immediately kind of puts uh, Cisco in a position where he's like, you have to choose your friendship and me or I'm gone. And this is it. We're on opposite sides. And that's hard for Cisco because we don't know a huge amount about Cisco pre DS nine. We know, we know about Jen, we know about the incident, and we know that, but this is from that time. And so not only is he losing a friend, it's not like he's losing Kira, who is a new friend. He's losing a, a lifelong friend. And so and he's torn. He's protected Cal from the Federation, um, not outright, like completely lying, but just like avoiding the truth. Like, oh, I'll have to talk to Cal uh, about what his thoughts are with so that he can protect Cal. Um, But Cal doesn't extend that courtesy to Cisco. And it is really sad and it is really heartbreaking um, just to kind of watch that friendship be destroyed by something neither of them really signed up for.
1: Well, the two of them are two men with, like, deep, scarring drama in their lives that they have handled in different ways. And, you know, they were able to support each other through some of those incidents. And then, you know, you can see Cisco went one way. And even at the beginning of DS9, he's like, I don't want to be here. I want to go, you know, tank my life or go live on a farm with Jake and we can fish all day and that'll be fine, right? Um, <laughs> but like he grows into his advocacy for the people of Bajor, for DS9, and for everything going on. Meanwhile, you've got Cal who's taken a completely different path to like try and find his purpose, and it's taken them in such radically different directions that it's it's not even it's not reconcilable at that point. And unfortunately, like Cal sees it before Cisco does, which is why it's so jarring to watch the two of them have those interactions. So at the end of the episodes, right? They
0: are back in that weird conference room again, and you get this really, I think, powerful scene. And I think it's the scene that like solidifies to me, at least. Okay, this is who the Maquis are, and it's Cisco coming to Cal, and Cisco takes out Cal's uniform, his Starfleet uniform, throws it right in front of him, and says, "You know, you can leave this all behind. You can come back with us." Like, the Federation will help you. The Federation will protect you. Even though Cal knows that's not true. And then Cal just takes out his phaser and shoots his uniform.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: like, obviously it's the symbolism. Like, this is the point. Like, it's very, very heavy-handed. You know, it's not uh, subtle at all. But I think it, like, really sells the episode. You know, drama is good when drama works, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like, the best part of this episode. Even though, you know, we do have the Goldcott and Cisco Daddy road trip, like, sitcom thing going on, right? Like, that's all fun and stuff like that. But when the drama hits, the drama hits hard. And I think that, you know, even though a lot of the cal Cisco stuff is just talk, 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 talk. Because they have that final representation be more visual and less, like... I'm just not going to join the Federation. I think it really brings that point and hammers that point home.
4: Well, yeah. And the, the uniform symbolism is really strong because he mentions this at a few times. Like they beam down to the planet. He's out of uniform. You're out of uniform. He's, you know, they're rescuing Gul Dukat and from, right, and Gul Dukat getting kidnapped is, like, the most ridiculous part of this episode for me, <laughs> so they get back to Deep Space Nine, and and so on and so forth, and, and Dukat's, and, you know, Dukat's under security, and the, you know, these Maquis guy come and beat, you know, oh, you're relieved, and they're like, hey, come down to the airlock, and Gul Dukat's like, okay... Whatever, and then he gets there's like, oh, there's no ship, is there? And he whacks somebody before getting shot in the back and flailing wildly. But you know, they they hit this note a lot. You're, you know, tell Cal I still have his uniform. Tell, you know, and then he's, you know, the shooting the, the uniform bag. It's just like. It's uh it's one of those classic kind of star Star Treks hey did you get the message hey 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 did you see that did you see that did you did you get the message kind of thing <laughs> but you know I think it really works as a as a structural thing for this episode because it it's showing that you know, Cisco is grappling with these different, you know, connections of friendships, like you mentioned, Katie. Uh, Cisco is trying to deal with how these, you know, how these uh, new political alignments are working moving forward. And like at the end of the day, he's he's working with Ducat. Like that's who he prioritizes in his relationships. Now he lets you know he lets Cal fly away, but. He's working with Ducat. Like, Ducat's his, his buddy in this. And that's, like, you know, another one of these weights that he has to take on is that if I'm going to do my job, I have to listen. To, I have to not only listen to this guy, but sometimes I have to lean on this guy.
1: I I, I appreciate the failed mind meld attempt with, like, the Vulcan character. <laughs> who And, and maybe I help me understand the Vulcan character in this whole scheme of things. Because, like, the whole subplot with her and Quark is, like, kind of odd to me like parts of this episode like structurally did not sing and i think she was a part that didn't really work and i don't know if it was all to kind of get to the fact that like they had her as this asset that didn't end up really doing all that much but maybe somebody can can defend her in this episode i don't know katie you're
2: shaking your head
0: (laughs) left and right because
3: caitlin just be me to it because i was gonna say like we've completely ignored sakona and not talk yes. about her one iota, and it hasn't impacted the episode at all. Like, would Quark really become an arms dealer? Maybe. I Like, sure. Like, I guess. Does he need to be? An arms middleman. Why, right, I'm sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, Quark. Um, like, does he need to be in this episode? No. Does she need to be? here? Like, the funding of where these weapons are coming from doesn't doesn't have any importance like it does in other episodes. And so I right, think right. I think her character and her thing is a little superfluous. I I mean I always love Vulcan scenes because they they're a different character type. They have very calm, very logical, and that is humorous in a lot of ways. So I don't think it was necessarily a waste, but I don't think it added to the episode at all.
1: And I don't think it was the actress's fault. I mean, she was no, no, she no, was no. interesting and actually like her demeanor reminded me a lot of the um the adjudicator from John Wick Three. <laughs> she's just like so flat, but like she's like, no, like this is what's happening, and I'm proceeding with like what I'm gonna do, right. and mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. She's a business was, like, bitch okay. doing her business
3: job, and that's fine. And she tolerates Corks like silliness and whatever he needs. She <laughs> tolerates all of Cork's craziness, and like has dinner with him. I'll I'll drink the wine, but I won't dance. Like that's fine because that kind of just builds uh-huh. up Cork a little bit more. <laughs> but being the arms runner for the Maquis added very little to this episode, I think. And again, not yeah. the actress's fault. She did a great job. There was humor in it. But it was kind of a fluff to the episode, I think.
4: Yeah. The only thing at the end is that when, you know, when Quirk's in jail and she's in jail and everyone's in jail uh, and, and he's like convincing her like, hey, don't pay any price for peace when you can get it cheap. I liked that scene. That was, yeah. but again, more talk. It's it's a very talky right. episode. I also love how like this, this Vulcan is like impressed that the Ferengi have a code of conduct. She's like really into the rules. That of is a nice
1: moment. Yeah,
4: which we all are. I think the rules <laughs> are fairly interesting. The, the cross stitch um, sampler I have yet to make, but I will. <laughs> but the, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it, we've already had the "Who's Running Guns for the Cardassians" episode. We've already done that this season. The, At the mirror start of the universe, season, three the time. episodes, three, yeah, yeah, in three parts instead of two. So it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely, I you know, just want to talk about Dakot and, and Cisco's and Cisco and his buddies, right? It's the the maquis here are uh, far less, <laughs> and that that does sell short the the acting and the 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 the, the lore building and kind of the the you know um odo's grin when cisco tells him to keep quark in jail forever it's yeah. just awesome
0: <laughs> yeah well like i was super excited when uh we were populating the list of episodes we wanted to do for this like oh man there's like a maquis two-parter like i really like jacote the character in voyager and like i really enjoy at least for the first season where it's the Maquis versus the Federation, and how do they get along on this ship? And, like, it's it doesn't really add anything to it. It's just kind of like, hey, life's rough on the frontier. Like, and that's, that's pretty much where the Maquis start and finish, you know? They don't really have a defining, like, ethos, you know? They don't have, like... A religion that, like, you know... Well, the, it's almost more impactful
1: in that episode of Voyager, and I don't know if it's one of the ones we're going to cover on the series, because, of course, I didn't research it before I started talking, but <laughs> there's the episode of Voyager where the Maquis, former Maquis crew, find out that all the other Maquis are dead. That, like, these ideals that they've held to as they've been struck in the Delta Quadrant are... are They they failed. They lost. Everyone's dead or in jail, and mostly dead and it's really impactful to them because that was such a big part of their lives but back like in the alpha quadrant it just seems like it's this thing that's more of a nuisance than anything else mm-hmm. and then there's bigger problems right because like the dominion comes in and all of a sudden it's like ah this other like thing that is going on yeah i mean you know cal and, and all those guys are right like the federation immediately forgets they exist right
4: uh, the Maquis also—they the, forget they exist because the Cardassians also are like, "Hey, Dominion shock troopers, could you help right. us with a little problem we're having in the demilitarized zone?" <laughs> so the this all gets swept up into this—you know—it gets swept up in these bigger, uh, you know, cross galactic problems down the line. But it also shows that no matter the scale of the the issue, that both Cisco and the Federation have way, have no, you know, are doing their very best to have no handle on the situation. (laughs) Right, right. And I
0: think this is going to be really interesting. I don't know if this is going to be really interesting. This is a pivot to something Caitlin, you and I were talking about yesterday, two days ago, with your mother, about why Lower Decks is great.
1: Lower Decks is great! Because Lower Decks,
0: yeah, First of all, we're all huge fans of Lower Decks on this show. Second of all, but, like, Lower Decks is, like, the second contact. And, like, the joke is, like, oh, yeah, like, we go in, we fill out, like, the W-2s, the W-4s. We find out where all the good restaurants are. But, like, the flip side of that is if you don't have a Cerritos, if you don't have a second contact team, you get situations like the Maquis. You know, you get, like, these people that just feel abandoned and out there because, like, space is big. (laughs) Like, I know the Federation is, like, supposed to be this, like, utopic society that's, like, ever-reaching and, you know, is conquering all of this vastness of space. But, like, space is big. Like, you're going to miss people in the edges. You're going to miss things. You're going to fly over planets that, like... Oh, it's not inhabited, but like, you know, you're moving faster than the speed of light by the time you get away, like civilization could sprout, you know? Like mm-hmm. I understand the plight of the Maquis. I understand the plot, the thesis, what they're supposed to represent. I just I'm still waiting for good execution on it.
4: The And that I think bumps the Maquis the Marquis Peak with Michael Eddington When Eddington shows up, and I know you're doing your watch, you'll see him. When Mm -hmm. Eddington appears, that's the best Maquis. Because on Voyager, they just assimilate...
0: Right, for lack of a better term like they, and they get different
1: pips but that only lasts
4: well, for they, like a season they all
1: have to like put on their get along shirt if they want to survive on Voyager and that's yeah. pretty much like as far as that goes
4: right and the fact that they never followed through because they had made up alternate uniforms for the Maquis on Voyager like you mm-hmm. know uh, Star Trek third you know the Starfleet third uniform kind of thing that yeah. they never followed through <laughs> with and I think it would have been, done a better job because you could have actually built that connection better and then had like a bigger deal when they got rid of them, you know and everyone right. was happy you know somewhere down the line but you know this this sets up some you know this sets up some the some good things with eddington and with the maquis moving forward but it's it just never got there it, it just got yeah. overshadowed by bigger problems
0: well it got overshadowed by bigger problems and honestly it got overshadowed by the chemistry i was gonna say daddy ducat like <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, let's be honest here. That's the thing we keep coming back to, all four of us. It's like, I just want to see them, like, you know, throw Jake and Ducott seven kids in the back of the station wagon and drive New York to LA <laughs> and just watch what happens. Right? Not can to go to the Power Line concert. <laughs> Real bad. Right. They want to go to the <laughs> Power Line concert. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight on um this kind of eh, middle of the road two parter.
4: I it's, love it. It's I I, I love it. it as much as you know we've we've gone through beating up on it. Uh, Cisco and Ducat and Cisco and Cal carry this to to really strongly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I mean, and this is why we do this. This is why we like discussing these things. Katie, do you have any final thoughts?
3: No, I just. I I do think it's an important episode, whether we love it or hate it, it does set up a lot of what is to come. And so it is it is a key episode. And there's some really great moments. And then there's some really like, OK, I get your point, but we're still here circling moments. Um, but that's just part of the, the narrative anyway. So I I'd still appreciate and like this episode for for what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, this episode has mo- more pros than cons. It's it's doing a lot of crunchy world building, which is always fun. And at the end of the day, it's a DS9 episode, which means that even the worst of the DS9 episodes are going to be better than the best of some of the other series in the Star Trek franchise. Um, I think for me, it was just the first one to kind of fall flat in terms of pacing, in terms of the actual storycraft. And the way the episode was assembled just felt odd to me. But again, no, no fault of the performers, no fault um, to what they're trying to accomplish. And again, we see some really great moments between Cisco and Dukat. Um, we see Quark, you know, valiantly trying to be relevant in this episode, you know, and, and the, the great former Pizza Hut in the sky rains again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Forrest, do you have any closing thoughts?
4: Well, at the end of the episode, everyone gets to borrow a runabout, and (laughs) isn't that just the dream? Isn't that just the dream? Also, want to give a shout out to my favorite angry Slavic admiral Admiral Ochev. Props, yes. Props (laughs) Props <laughs> to you for showing up and yelling at another Starfleet uh, commander. Um, wish you would yell at Janeway one day, but, you know. This is this is her second appearance
1: future. on Two Star Two Trek.
4: Yep. It is. We've got our second Nechev appearance and, like, <laughs> just such a great role for, you know, because you need that hard-ass admiral to come, you know, light into you and get the fear of God back into you and um, uh, the... Yeah, it's it's just fun. They're, and they're so, um, yeah, more more angry admirals. I like it. <laughs> more angry
0: admirals. Fantastic. Well, as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Star Two Trek. We have new episodes coming every Thursday. And as always,
1: to be continued.
2: Yay!